Hello and welcome to the Agile Podcast. My name is Paul Goddard. Jeff and I would just like to remind you that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes if you've got an iPhone and we'd love it if you can leave us a review as well. And you can also subscribe via SoundCloud. If you'd like to send us a question on Twitter, you can get hold of us at the Agile Podcast. That's at the Agile Podcast. So without any further ado, let's play the jingle. Good afternoon, people. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Nigel. Hello, guys. Hello, Hello everyone. Cheers. Cider. Love the afternoon pint. Drag me down to your level of cider today. We're all, We're all drinking all cider. Me down to your level of cider. Well, we are in Bristol, uh, one of the cider capitals. So I think it's West country. If you're in Russia, you'll be drinking vodka. And so being in Bristol drinking cider, I think, is the right sort of thing. Fitting. Well, we're in a proper Bristol pub. The old, one of the oldest, if not the oldest. We'll have to explain where we are. What's, What's it called? called? The Hatchet. <laughs> the Hatchet, hatchet Inn. Inn. The Hatchet Inn. Everyone calls it the Hatchet. The oldest pub in Bristol? Allegedly. Allegedly. And allegedly a pub that Blackbeard the Pirate used to drink. You can't say Blackbeard without being a bit Blackbeardy there. Blackbeard. <laughs> I'm a bit what was his name? Was Edward Teach, was yeah. it something? Yes, Teach. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm but isn't that they say that's he was, kind of, he was actually the, the origins of the Bristolian accent is that kind of yeah. piratey kind well, of well pirates come from the southwest yeah, not the south not pirates came to the southwest they gave us an accent <laughs> you know. it wasn't colonisation it was um, colonialism Cornwall and Bristol and places like that yeah Cornish pirates so we're at fault for pirates of the Caribbean I'm so sorry yeah it's, it's all our fault Johnny Depp yeah so this pub very nice uh, regarded as the um, one of the top alternative venues in Bristol. What does that mean? What does alternative mean? Black lipstick and virginity, normally. <laughs> um, and I say that as someone who's come here quite a lot. <laughs> nice black lipstick. Though, but generally, it's a, a nice oasis in the centre of a of a town that only a few years ago would have been quite aggressive to people who did not conform to conformity. Well, Bristol's okay. changed quite a lot in the last ten years. Hugely, hugely, hugely. So what are you drinking? Right, Paul and I, we are on Thatcher's Haze. Haze. Which is a cloudy side. It's actually very nice. It does look very hazy, actually. Yeah, it's, very, it's very cloudy. The Thatcher's, that's a local brewer, isn't it? Yes, very much so. And so Jeff, Somerset what, cider. what are you on, Jeff? Well, I'm also drinking a Thatcher's, but it's called a Green Goblin, which is a medium dry cider. And according to the legend, the Green Goblin came to Somerset Following his love of bittersweet apples, he's believed to dance amongst the orchards to fight off evil spirits and protect our apples, but is rarely seen. And of course, he is Spider-Man's sworn enemy. Of course, as we know. Yes. It's very so, tasty. And Jeff, what did the barman, and I believe barman, they say to you about your choice of cider? He said it was smoked. Wood smoked cider, but I can't really taste any smokiness like I can in a smoked beer or a smoked whiskey or anything like that. And I believe he also said, don't ask me, they all taste the same to me. <laughs> he, did. he didn't really put much of a sales job on. <laughs> no, no. Oh, I'm pretty sure he didn't quite like us coming in. Actually. <laughs> well, you're not wearing the right shade of lipstick, are you? Yeah. Exactly. So, but I've got my boots on, I thought anyway. that works quite nicely. But the seeing so, as you mentioned about this being an alternative pub, yeah. here's my uh, off-the-cuff suggestion. Nice. Segway. Is, is Agile the alternative? To what? Well, it, Discuss. <laughs> I, well, I believe there's so much uh, uh, correlation between what we've just been discussing and that statement. Because Agile did, you remember when we started doing it? Yeah. Alien, Unknown, mm-hmm. if BT had known we'd been doing it, we may have got squashed. And now it's become conformity. I don't think it is the, the alternative. Not anymore, no. Now it's become the... But the trouble with becoming mainstream is it's taken on everything the mainstream takes on. Yeah. Which is watered down, uh, corporatised, Standardised, um, turned to a little box to try and fit into his own little environment. Not a movement, but a. <clears throat> being, you know, being the underdog, being on the alternative generates a certain amount of passion and enthusiasm yeah. and underground support, doesn't yeah. it? It's hard, I've lost. Yeah, it's hard to be passionate if, if your team are the winning team all the time. Uh, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think some people have actually, precisely because of that, have gone off agile a little bit. They, they were into it when it was new and niche. Mm. The, they were a new band on the scene. Yeah. And now they've gone big, they feel agile sold out. Mm. And so that's a little bit sad, but you know, 
uh, I think, is we do need to stay uh, ever more focused on our principles because of the... When people used to break this stuff, they used to break it out of um, ignorance um, in a way that was obviously wrong. Mm. And now people are breaking this stuff out of almost a deliberate knowledge. I don't want to say maliciousness, but with deliberate intent. Um, Kent Beck's quote, like the devil reads the Bible. You know, read, look at it so intently it can give it a bit of spin in a way that sounds authentic, but in fact is deeply unauthentic. So I think people also want to want to be better than it. People want to want to exceed it in some way, make it something that it isn't. Is that a bad thing? I think if it's for your own good, I think if it's for your own status, it is. Okay. Um, but I, I think a lot of people aren't, aren't just prepared for it to be what it is, to leave, leave Scrum as it is. Scrum is, is what it is. Well, yeah, it's transcending Scrum or transcending Agile is the other interesting thing as well. You know, I can definitely see people, but even Scrum's transcended itself. <laughs> so we looked to when we started, Scrum was very, very, we made this comment before on a previous podcast, methodology versus framework. Mm. Yeah. Scrum did start off with a dash of methodology in there. Meetings were certain lengths, like part one, part two in sprint planning, certain things happening at certain times. And now even Ken and Jeff have taken their foot off that a bit yeah. and said, okay, there's more wiggle room there than we perhaps first thought there was at the start. And that's okay, but it's when you start saying, well, I've transcended the concept of frequent releases because mm. we now know what we're building through mm. three years. But don't worry, we really know this time. Mm. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm sure everyone says that. Uh, so that's interesting, you know, in terms of... Uh, so does it need a little bit of reinventing then to become alternative again, to get that generated? I think people have done that. There's that guy who's... I'm sorry, I'm going to abuse your name now. I can't... Joshua Kavinsky? 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 <laughs> if you want to tweet in, that'd be Kariosky, fantastic. I think you mean. Yeah, that's one. Modern Agile. Ooh, you're so good so with names. Yeah. I'm fantastic with names. I kind of have my own sometimes. <laughs> um, but his Modern Agile stuff is basically... I doubt he'll have been listening. Oh, sorry. You may be, if you have been listening, please text in. I'm tweeting. So uh, his stuff is effectively reinvented the wheel. It's the Agile Manifesto, sort of in a big font, <laughs> spelled out again. Mm. But some people need that. That reinvention is good. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to achieve. But I think, in, along that theme, we, as trainers, probably more as trainers than coaches, but we need to reimagine how we, what we, te- what we say. Yeah, but I, I, I've personally been doing that through the coaching stuff. So by just experiencing things in different ways and doing things in different ways, coming back to my training in a different way. So, you know, how I, how I, I'm, I think what I do these days in terms of a course is more, maybe they don't get it in the course, but it's more nuanced than perhaps it was 10 years ago. Mm. Yeah, this is the way. I saw a James Grenning post the other day said, I used to know everything and I've learned a lot since then. Mm. I think that's exactly how I feel. Like that's the yeah. yeah. Well, Mike said the same thing, didn't he? Mike admitted he might have been wrong about certain things in the past, or he might have had to change what he said in the past. And not so much being wrong, just being like, for instance, uh, task breakdown in sprints. You know, um, a lot of people don't do that anymore. They do it at a high level or do it anecdotally. Fantastic. But the reason we all broke down into hours at the start was because none of us had done this before, really. It was all new. We all needed that help. So that was very good advice at the time. There were no advanced agile teams, really. And as teams have got older and got advanced, we've seen the full age limit of teams. You know, teams going three, four, five, six years. That's a very different experience to a team six weeks in. But on that whole thing about this, <coughs> so we need that new wave of energy to become alternative yeah. again. What worries me slightly is that there's still people that I went to see not two weeks ago that didn't know a thing about what happened 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. So reinventing something. But do they need to? I think they do. Yeah. They need to I know. think they know, need to know where but, it started. But I think you need to know prog rock before you know punk. Yeah. In the, to appreciate. If you, yeah, punk, like they cut back and rough and rubbish. And if you listen to it, you think, well, that's a bit naff. But if you knew it was a counteract to some mm. people having like 25 minute drum solos, then you get it. So if you remember before this, everyone, we were talking about some subjects to talk about. And I asked my, um, my, my wonderful and beloved wife for some subjects, mm-hmm. and she gave me three subjects that weren't agile, um, but, but I thought we could make an agile way. And one of them was about millennials, the millennial people, and how, wh- where their future's going. 
and I thought we could take that spin on it. Is there a definition of, of what a millennial is? I'm not quite sure, but it's someone young, younger than us significantly. I don't think it means born Less in Less than half our age, Yeah, yeah, like 20s, early okay. 20s. Um, but so some of the stuff that... That makes us sound really old, I just realised. None of us are 40 yet. Mm. Um, Might be by the time this podcast goes out. <laughs> don't joke. Um, <laughs> so uh, in terms of what we do and how we approach problems for them may be different. Uh, the, the, what they see, what they understand, you know, the jokes we make about a lack of testing, for instance, they may never have seen a lack of testing. So they don't understand. They don't, but they also they don't, don't understand waterfall to a degree. Yeah, they may never. You said that before. Because, never they've never come, because they've never been in a waterfall project. They come out of university or college or whatever, and they're told that we run generally run things in iterations these days. And then therefore you you try and tell them how painful waterfall can be, and they've got no frame of reference. Yeah, yeah. that pain is one of the big drivers for change, yes. isn't it? Yeah. If they don't yeah. feel it. Yeah. But then our training to a degree becomes less change focused. Yeah, because you can then focus more on the positive aspects, yeah. like in terms of, wow, this is how leadership should work your blank page, rather than deprogramming. So yeah. why do they have to hear prog rock or punk? Why can't they just have pop or whatever it is? Because there? you may not appreciate the nuance. So Picasso is a great example. We look, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, but Picasso at 19 could paint like a photo. True, I've seen it. It's true in Barcelona, the Picasso Museum. There, his art's truly tremendous. A, a, a picture perfect, like a photo. And then you see, like a year later, he just moves an eye slightly, slightly out of order. So the person looks normal, just slightly different because the eye's slightly out of position. And you can see him going, hmm. And then, until in the end, you look. Before he died, he was doing painting with a sloppy big brush on uh, ceramics. And it looks like a child did it. Well, it does, but he's taken 60 years to get there. If you get the journey, you can really appreciate what he's doing. If you just look at it without any knowledge, it's just splodges. And the same thing with a lot of times of alternative art. And I think sometimes we've got to be a little bit careful. You're right. We don't want deprogramming people sucks in courses. It's lovely to have a blank page and work with them positively. But you kind of need to know not to touch the oven. You know, you kind of need to know that have that life experience to avoid some of those situations. A little bit of pain to what know not to do it again. What was before waterfall? Yeah. Chaos. Was it? I have no memory of the whole waterfall. What do you say? Well, Winston Voice did it in the mid '60s for but software. We weren't around then. The software, no. So how how we what did we have? We did well. We didn't. We didn't do waterfall we where we were. We I never, did. I, oh, I did. I remember being sat down and trained in my first week. BC. Oh, I remember being trained in it, but I don't remember any. I don't remember any. I don't name names. <laughs> any, any Dennis Lee project being waterfall ever? You just didn't name names. Yeah, I did names. I love Dennis. Dennis is lovely, but it wasn't. It was like very. He won't be listening. It was very um, uh, chaotic where we were based in BT. But remember, I, ca I came from you, the Cardiff guys. Exactly. So I came from um, yeah. CSEC, which was more yeah. structured, um, yeah. longer phase-driven projects. Yes. And it was very much yeah. um, gated processes and long yeah. development phases. So I came in and said, work on the Y2K bug, quick. Why, yeah. where I'm going with that is, why was Waterfall established? Was it natural human tendencies to want to try and predict and control? Or was it a response to overly agile chaos? It, it, if you read that, so I, I'm now going to try and remember, because I've actually read the voice paper. Um, and there's reasoning in there. It was to do mainly with scaling, i.e. seven or eight people working together. So before that in software, it was like ones and twos. So more so coordination so for teams. More like coordination, yeah. working together, bigger products so you couldn't just emerge. Mm. So if you look back to the very early software stuff, they wouldn't call it agile, but they were emerging systems. Mm. You know, sure there's lots of those behaviours there. Whether I meant software, right? just, in, just in general. I mean, in terms of projects. Yeah. Well, it's manufacturing. It came from well, the manufacturing. Civil engineering yeah, as well. Yeah, that kind of thing. That, well, even now, you builders that build my extension, you can't do anything until you've got an architect that's drawn up your plans. Yeah. Then the, then the, the, was it always like that? Or was that a response? To, some, to a need for something? Well, I don't know. So, uh, the, I, imagine there was a, I imagine there was a blueprint for the pyramids. I imagine it was nowhere near as the details of the blueprints we had now. Was there though? Was there a, a blueprint for the pyramids? <laughs> this is what I want to say. Well, in the film I saw there was, but I don't know how, I just realised that Bernard Lee, Bernard Lee from who was M in, in, in James Bond was the architect, so I'm not totally sure how accurate that 1950s American film was. 
it's like I was reading the other day about numbers. Like numbers only came into use at a certain late period of mid, the Middle Ages. So before numbers weren't used, like well, the uh, uh, you know, one, two, three is a number. Yeah. The physical drawing of a number weren't around. So you see, like an old film set like in Roman times, they're using numbers. They weren't using numbers. Mm. And have them back then. They say one or two in words. Anyway, get off the subject. It's very deep, Jeff. I don't quite know. Civil engineering, though, definitely those types of areas that thinking came from, and it's still very appropriate there. So it's not evil or wrong, it's just taking a model from one world and trying to apply mm. it to another, I and don't the model stick. I, I don't think that my questions or my train of thought was very helpful or, or useful. Don't beat yourself up. It came to mind. So back to the back to Come millennials. Perfect, so yeah. we get to, yeah, we're, we're no longer the, um, I was, Dennis brought him up, my yeah. old boss, your old boss, our old boss. When uh, used to say to me that I didn't have enough grey hairs to be a, an organisational coach or consultant or trainer, uh, I still don't have very many grey hairs, which is good. Um, but I am no longer one of the youngest people in the room. No. <laughs> but I, and this is probably just a, a psychological thing. It links back to a little bit of imposter syndrome. So I'm to write a book on it. But um, I sometimes still feel, feel like I am, even though I'm not. Yeah. I still feel like I'm talking from the 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 experience of I'm just I'm new to the, I'm, I'm still I still feel like one of the new guys. Yeah. Even though the room might think I'm not. Yeah. Well, yeah I just, still think I'm 22. So it's, it's, yeah. it's interesting for me. So I just had the same feeling. Um, twice recently, I've been the oldest person in the room, right? Once in coaching and once in, the, in a training course, right? So that was a bit. <laughs> but what happened for me? What really blew me is losing my hair. Because I went from looking quite young to looking quite old. And so after that happened, I seemed to have more weight. <laughs> you know, I'm fat as well, but you know, as I started looking older. But do, do you think that changed your, your own perspective? I think. When it, people looked at you like that or when yeah. you felt like that? I think that. I don't know. I don't know if it's aging or looking older, but that gave me a security, a, more, a, a deeper security as a coach. Did it? Yeah, definitely did. I felt more assured about myself. Did you? And what, yeah. what changed as a result of that for you? Just in terms of the confidence of what I said and actually being less harsh on what I say. So I felt, okay, that's fine. I feel now more secure in what I'm doing as mm. a human being and thus I can let things slide a bit. So I'll go, okay, normally I'll just fight you to death on this, yeah. but I'm not going to die on this hill because you'll soon discover. Exactly. So I don't need to convince you at this moment. We've got, I'm here for the next six weeks, you know. We've got lots of time to discover that's going to be horrible, and I'll let them discover that. When, when I felt younger, if I had to make, a, make the point of you know, the, the passion, you know, it's good. <laughs> yeah, but then there's I a certain wiliness, you know, that you need as well. I think there's an interest, I th I'd agree. I think, whilst I don't think my passion has dropped, no. I think my fight has. Mm. If there's a difference. Yeah. Is that I won't necessarily mm. argue with someone or, yeah. or defend yeah. to as much as I perhaps did before. And I think that might yeah. be an age thing. Yeah. But my passion's gone up as I got older. Has it? Jeff can probably attest to you. I can't remember saying it, but you said one time that I said something on the lines of, you said, oh, what, happened, what you'll do if the agile coaching finishes or something. Mm. And I just went, oh, I'll just get another job. Just, yeah, that's it. And I was, oh, yeah. how, how far in were we at that point? Mm. Maybe like two months in, three months in. And now I think, no, no, you know, that's actually a hill I'll probably die on. So it's actually interesting because a lot of people have the passion and then over time the passion fades and they have the pragmatism. But as Paul said, I've still got the passion. It's just I'm more pragmatic about how I apply it. Mm. What about you, Jeff? Passion still there? I don't know whether... I, I, not sure whether passion is something a word people associate with me. Whatever. <laughs> not really. There's a thousand things I can say now. If you can see not, on a not on a podcast. If you can see how Jeff is sitting on his chair now. Do you probably agree with that statement? Yeah. <laughs> Nonchalant. Nonchalant. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm fairly. I don't know. Pragmatic about it. I, I, You've always I, been laid back about people it. People always assumed I was a lot older than I was, I think, because yeah. I, I wasn't so young and flashing and mature and picky about it maybe I don't know it was always a bit of a guessing game in BT when I joined your team was that everyone said guess guess how old Jeff is guess Come on, I bet you can't guess how old he is I bet you can't guess and everyone was always 10 years yeah I always thought he was about 40 <laughs> when I used to visit the office while I was working up there and you were like 24 or something mm. Mm. so no I don't know I wouldn't say passion 
But there, there are things that I, I believe in, but I'm not enough to really get me particularly wound up about. I do get wound up, but not consciously. Yeah. Give me an example of something that wound you up. <laughs> Edit point. I'll label that for myself. Edit. Um, when people seem to want to pick a pick a fight for no reason, yeah. just and they'll they'll probably badge it as banter or intellectual sparring or something like that. Yeah, oh, I like that intellectual spar. But really, it's just a bit of a pissing contest. Yeah. Or intellectual masturbation. You know, yeah. Look on the face. But it is, isn't it? It's someone just showing you how clever they are. Yeah, and yeah, you know, people out there trying to just do something good or just make a, a, a an, an argumentative point that someone just deliberately wants to spark up a, yeah. an unnecessary and unproductive debate about it. Yeah. And I think, again, this is probably linked to age as well, but I think I've tried to, perhaps consciously, or perhaps it's just naturally happened, and we've talked about this before, is that... I can't keep up in terms of technology. I'm talking about technology now, that mm-hmm. and, and software particularly. If I do a lot of software type training, I have to admit I can't keep up with what's the latest. Mm-hmm. So the latest I think, social media thing you know. Well, well, no, just the latest any, uh, soft technology to, to solve a problem, yeah. whatever it might be. So you're on a, a CSM course yeah. or whatever, um, and you're talking about which technologies are the right things. I can't. I can't necessarily have the authority to. To define what's the, your best option. Yeah. So there's, with that age and with that um, humility, I suppose, yeah. is that I don't know. Yeah. I'm more prepared to say I don't know now than I think I used to I like be. Yeah. What? I like not having the authority yeah. to be able to say something because then I can't be proven wrong. But, it, but I think that's a maturity that, in terms of you, I personally, I'm going to speak to myself, 10 years ago, I would have found that difficult to, to admit that. Yeah. But well, I think that's. Had to poss- prove, yeah, but, prove yourself by showing you know yeah. yeah and I think that's probably a, mm. you know an insecurity or a, yeah. a, you feel the need that as, as the person in the front of the room yeah. people are looking at you to provide the answer mm. and I think I'm probably more prepared not to give the answer yeah. I was asked to I was doing, having a Skype call with someone the other day and the connection wasn't very good I don't know why but it wasn't wasn't being very productive and um, I, I, I just thought well it's just a bad day a bad connection or whatever we'll try again another time but the other person they said should we uh, should we try blue jeans <laughs> I said I'm wearing blue jeans <laughs> she said no 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 blue jeans yeah. I said I don't know what it is but if you, if you tell me how to do it then I'll do it and so she said do you know what it is no, okay, no. I think it's funny it's, it's some kind of plug-in I can just imagine the conversation a plug-in what Skype I, I don't think it's Skype I don't know it's a plug-in either for a web browser or, or Skype so I think it's she sent, me some, she sent me some link and now, now it's in my browser it's <laughs> and it was like a like a um, meetup thing I know. so yeah, yeah. It's, it's that kind of thing I just said I have no idea what that is but if it yeah. works and you know how to do it yeah. you can talk me through it I'm up for it yeah I think with the social media stuff, there's always a new social media thing out there, and I've completely not kept track of any of them, and so I struggle with that, you know, so I can't keep up with all that stuff. But yes, yeah, but for the, so the, the millennial thing, bringing it all back, you know, in terms of uh, how we are, because um, in the nicest possible way, um, I'm the oldest of us three, but we're all fairly close together. Fairly, aren't mm-hmm. we? Like, so you're 39, are you 39 yet? Well, I'm going to say that, but yes, I'm 39 <laughs> and I'm 40 this year, right? Not that I've got a big issue about it or anything like that. You're 40 next year? Correct. And Jess 40 in about 2020. <laughs> <laughs> when are you 40? Uh, Don't say 2020. Uh, two and a half years' time. So that would be 2019. 2019. Yeah, the middle of 2019. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, anyway, um, so but we are all getting late 30s, you know. And we've been discussing how we've changed our approaches and changed our mm. the way we approach things. But it's also understanding how others are changing their approach. And that millennial stuff, I think, is really interesting as they start flooding through. You know, um, the, I think for me, anyway, seeing them. I mean, it's just me being older, but they always seem so skilled and so emotionally intelligent these days. I remember seeing like I see interns in companies, and I remember our placement students back in the day mm. and whilst I'll say nothing bad about our placement students <laughs> uh, I'll say nothing bad about them um, I think those interns are very much more rounded human beings some of them tried hard didn't they? Mm. some of them tried hard <laughs> in our organisation but some of them didn't try very hard at all 
but the interns these days seem to be very um, uh, emotionally intelligent. Yeah. And so that side of thing, though that's always been the side I thought has been deficient in our industry, mm. seems to be somewhere where we have a surface of ability. Mm. Yet how do we, you know, balance up what we're trying to do? Am I most philosophical? People have asked me in the past about organisational transformation. Mm-hmm. And I remember a long time ago I was having a discussion with Craig Larman about change. <laughs> there was a time in history when all doctors knew for a fact that if you were ill, you needed leeches. They knew it. It was, mm-hmm. it was a fact. Mm-hmm. And if you were really ill, you needed a lot of leeches. Mm-hmm. Um, until it started getting a bit of evidence that uh, perhaps that might not be the case. Perhaps perhaps some drugs might work or perhaps some, some other type of treatments might work yeah. and some doctors knew that leeches weren't the answer mm. but they still kept using them as a whole and it took for that generation of doctors to die out for that yeah. train of thought yeah. to change and establish a new order in the medical profession and so for me yes you can try and change you can try and proactively change you can try and convince through logic you can try and convince through evidence but people are so attached to their ideas and their fundamental mm. beliefs that it, to me, it's about the next generation coming yeah. along without yeah. the scars of history, without yeah. that, to yeah. replace them in the boardrooms. Yeah. But there's two interesting things there for me. One is the leech story, because I've heard something similar, but they used to talk about doctors washing their hands. So surgeons didn't used to believe in washing mm-hmm. their hands between patients. Mm-hmm. So literally people die. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not a case of, oh, it's actually a really serious thing. But the other one is, is this one may be lucky. So when we started work, when I started working in the what, mid, late 90s, mm. um, people still hung around in jobs for a long time. Mm. You know, 20 years in a job, then retire, then someone else goes into their booth. Yep. So it's a generational thing, as you're describing. That seems to not be the case anymore. Mm. I don't meet many people like that. Anymore. No, I don't. Yeah. People move on so much. No, and so, but the idea is there could actually be the ability to, yes, you've got to wait for generations to move on, but that doesn't have to take a generation. No. You know, so what we, ca- we can actually do, but I think you're right, I think people offer underestimate the turnover of leadership and senior management that may be required in an agile transformation. Like, I like that note. It's a generational thing, but you don't have to wait a generation. No. So, Buffalo, I'm going to go and get another round, gentlemen. You can carry on talking without me if you like. Or you can oh, pause no, we'll it pause it for now. In fact, can we leave this pausing? Because I think it's nice for people to know that actually we don't just sit in pubs all day talking. We have multiple drinks. We'll come back for part two. Dum, dum, no, wait. Dum, 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 dum. How's the song go? Something that, like that. That'll do. It's coming up now. Welcome back. Part two. Welcome back. You guys drinking the same thing? I've gone for a different one. What have you got now, Jeff? It's called uh, still by Thatcher's. I assume they seem to have a tie-in with that. With that, still to brew cider? Is it brewery? What? Thatcher's, Thatchers brewery. Yeah. 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 I mean, you you, you distill whiskey. No, cider's brew. Brews. You brew beer, but do you? Yeah. Ferment. Uh, so yeah. So um, make it. Maybe you make it. Cider makers. This isn't it. It's got an old rascal anyway. A bit of a fox with highwayman. Like he's stealing the bottles. Makes some very orange. Kind of orange so that is. If, if that was in a, a, dry, if a, a, if a child was drinking dry. that, I would call it iron brew. Mm. It does have an iron brew tinge to it. There's I not enough brew. iron brew sold around this country, is there? No, so it shouldn't only be up in Scotland. It needs to be down in England as well, really. It's a good made stuff. From made from girders. They had to stop that, didn't they? Because they weren't. Because it's, it's not actually made from girders. Yes. <laughs> it's a clear lie. But you think some people would be able to get the idea of a joke compared mm. to a real advert? What does it taste like, Jeff? How's it? I'm tired here. I'm trying to say. I'm tired. A little bit like iron brew. <laughs> Is it? A little bit. It's um. Drier, wetter, softer. Wetter. Sweeter. Um, hasn't got as much tang to it as I expected because it quite it looks quite bubbly, but it's not. Yeah. yeah. When you taste it, but it, I expected it to have a bit of a more of a bite to it. It's quite smooth. It's, what percentage is it compared to the last one? It's nearly five, I think. Okay. I mean, I mean, I just still on Thatcher's haze, just sticking with what we know, Nigel. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's nice, though. Oh, um, your your um, the colour of your drink reminded me of something. I'll show you. This wouldn't go well on the old. Uh... Oh, we're doing visual references on a podcast. No, but I went to I went to it at my daughter's school the other day, and there was a sign on the door for the girls, which is healthy pee is one to three, four to eight. You must hydrate. It was a pH ah. level. 
oh, a like indication of that, oh. so to, you know, to make sure they're drinking enough water, yeah, yeah. which I think is quite good. And it rhymes as well, rhyming is good. Nice. Yeah. Um, and you do the rhyme one more time for the thing? I don't think it quite came out on the... Um, healthy healthy pee is one to three, four to eight, you must hydrate. And okay. If you imagine like a litmus paper testing. Yeah. So your, your beer, I think it's more of a two to three, so it's... That's healthy. It's a healthy, healthy, healthy colour. Yours, but mine is very much a six or a seven. Six or seven. Yeah, yeah, that is. We'll yeah. put that picture. I can upload it to the pub, podcast so yeah. people can see that. So, so the, everyone end, should monitor their hydration so levels. End of part one. We left it on my phrase, which I now can't remember what I said, which was, um, uh, was it? Uh, doesn't take it, yeah. doesn't take a generation to change a generation. Yes. Or something like that. We'll have something to play back so I can something hear it. Or, yeah, I'll have to listen back and tweet it. Um, but then uh, during the break, Jeff, you mentioned something about the next generation. Well, it seems talking about my daughter's school, I had to go in there and speak to her teachers, and she's choosing her GCSE options. Oh. It's quite a daunting prospect for anyone. Well, it was daunting for me. I remember having to do it. Well, yeah, I just think, well, what? If you know what you want to be, you know, if you know what job you want to do, and you're just working towards that, that's brilliant, isn't it? But And you know it's a job that's likely you know, to be around when, well, you, when you finish. Yeah, I presume, I presume we, we all, we're all going to need doctors, probably going to need lawyers in the future, but... Uh, what are we always going to need? With death and taxes as the two things that are eternal, so it'll always be accountants and it'll no, always be... I'm the hairdresser, don't rub it. I'm the hairdresser. Well, no, don't be, be hairist. I can, you I, could still go to a hairdresser. I could. It'd be a waste. I, yes, I could. A but groomer, I was thinking more death. Death. I'm talking about grooming. <laughs> um, but what, no, we don't know what jobs are going to be. There, no, the, the death and taxes. So health and money, <laughs> or something I imagine will be around. But you're right. All the others, like for grabs. Yeah. Does, so no, does she hasn't got a clue. No idea. She hasn't got a clue. No. She, there are certain things that she thinks she should want to do. Like she thinks. I probably should want to be in medicine or something like that, but there's there's no real what, society what, dictates what she well, should. Well, I think um, some of her friends say, "Oh, that's a, that's a good thing to aim for," and things like that, and it's a noble profession and yeah. these kinds of things. But no, but she hasn't got a clue. And how can you know when you're that age? Either? Some of them do. Yeah, but it, there's it, it's like for me, it's um, I think I knew very clearly what I wanted to be at that type of age, and I was probably wrong. Mm. I had no life experience. I didn't really understand the full nuances of the world out there. And so I think it's, it, you want to have options. I did that presentation on uncertainty, do you remember last year? Mm-hmm. And that, that really opened my mind to the idea of just keeping diverging, keeping options open so you don't have to commit too early. Yeah, so you've got a range it's of learning. It's quite an unsexy thing, isn't it? I get that it's practical, it's logical. So her teachers say, you know, if you have, for example, three sciences, yeah. then you're keeping more doors open, you're more yeah, options open. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a safe thing, isn't it? It's not sexy, it's not, no. it's not a narrowed down, targeted, focused, yeah. you know, it's working towards yeah. a clear goal, which can be quite motivating and yeah. inspiring. Yeah. And so that's the balance, isn't it? Mm. Do you keep your options open or do you focus yeah. and really... Do they still have things like careers advisors and things like that in schools? Well, we were joking with her about how, I don't know whether you guys did this as well, but we had someone come into the school, you filled out a form, yeah. and it went into the computer and said, yes. you're, you're going to yeah. be a, a window yeah. cleaner or something. Yeah, yeah, that. Um, and well, it was hilarious, yeah. absolutely yeah. hilarious. Terrible it was the most fun day ever yeah. when you say, oh, what did, what did yours say? What yeah. did yours say? And, oh. and we said, I don't know whether they do that anymore. And she said, oh, no, I think, I, think we're gonna, well, I think we've got something like that come in. But after she's chosen her options, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be too late. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I remember playing this day what my top choice was, <coughs> yeah. statistician. Yeah. That was what it, it told I, me to I, be. I remember mine being hilarious, but I can't remember what they were. No. I remember thinking they're really not, that's not really what I want to be. No. Math teacher, I think. Like but again, that. it's like, yeah, asking people careers yeah. advice when they're 15, 16 but years old. It's just when, you're seven, when you're 18, I think, that's a good time. Or even, yeah, 16, 17, but how old? Yeah, frail. I know. I know. I was trying to think. Age fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, yeah. That's too young. You know. I think the GCSE to A level turnover. That's when the narrowing needs to come when you're becoming an adult. But at fourteen or fifteen, I think that's too early. I think they should. They shouldn't. They should let you keep your options open. Or your option should be on stuff that's not career defining. It was quite quite difficult for me because my natural coaching stance. Of you know the answer. Yeah. I'll have you find my answer. You won't. You know, I'll ask you some questions. Yeah. And she genuinely didn't know. She wanted yeah. to know what the right thing to do was. And as much as I can say there isn't a right thing, yeah. you could argue that there are many wrong things. Yeah. Um, we my, can rule out things. I have we? my personal view, which I suppose, based mm-hmm. on experience, might be worth something. In that mm-hmm. I think 
in general, no matter what job you go for, you're going to need certain emotional intelligence, certain self-awareness skills, yeah. critical thinking skills, yeah. balanced thinking skills, be able to hold two contrasting thoughts in your head at the same yeah. time. And so, you know, I encourage you to consider things like philosophy and ethics as a, as a subject, yeah. as opposed to something like history, for example, which yeah. is done. If you're interested in that, you can learn about it. Wikipedia. Yeah. You know what I mean? But literally, it's like, I remember, I know that in, when we were in school, and I, not in school that earlier than you guys, but when we were in school, and there was a move away from learning facts to learning sort of critical thinking, even things like history, interpretation. But even though I'm learning a lot of facts, <laughs> a lot of remembering dates. This could be a whole rabbit hole that we probably shouldn't even go down, but is history fact? Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. subjective, it's yeah, written it's by the victors, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. And it's rewritten. Uh, often so I can um, relate to this so I, to go back to my I remember uh, playing this day choosing my options GCSEs and I said um, you're given a form I imagine it's all online these days isn't it? no she, she, she had a paper form she had to tick so um, I remember being given I remember the, I've got a good memory but I remember the, the form how it was laid out I remember the colour I remember who gave it to me also so I remember deliberating it for a long time and I think in my school I found a loophole ah so, and I said, well, there's nothing, given that you're only allowed to choose these things, but there's nothing stopping me. And I chose both music and mm. drama. Yeah. I thought, because I enjoy both those things. Mm. Yeah. And my parents said to me, well, if you join them, you should do them. And they, I remember, because the school sent me a letter back saying, oh, sorry, you can't choose those things. Which I think now, I think, that why, why would you, because mm. they said, oh, you can, you've got to just have one of those things. Yeah. Even though the form didn't kind of... Say that. So or is it a timetable class? Well, right? I don't think. No, I just think that you can only choose one Creative. expressive art. Mm. Which I thought, and now looking back now, what I know now, yeah. I yeah. think, well, why shouldn't you stop yeah. charging both of these? Anyway, yeah. I was told, sorry, you can't do that. You have to choose either. Yeah. Yeah. I was given a, a very a yeah. choice. Because yeah. I've already said, oh, we've made yeah. all, we've set all the other um, timetable out now. So you've either got to choose history or geography. Yeah. I thought, why well, don't I want to do either of those things? Yeah. yeah. And it was, I was, I was, pushed into yeah. a down a route yeah. just because it made the timetabling yeah. easier. Well I had that university where I ended up where between an argument between two departments mm. I couldn't do the subsidiary I wanted. <laughs> so I, I don't wrong, need, yeah. So I had to go and do analog electronics which was an absolute bear for twelve months. I mean mm. my first year at hell. Mm. Though interesting. But when I was at school I only had two choices. I could I remember I could either oh, I had to choose one creative art and I could choose to do either um, I think it was uh, CDT, Craft Design Technology, or an extra science. But when I was at school, it was just science. There was no special. There was no yeah. physics. Just science, and I didn't have. Board, yeah. I didn't have history or geography. I just had humanities what as one do? subject. Yeah. So the choice I made was art and another science. But I chose art because I was a fifteen-year-old boy but it feels who was humiliated such, yeah. by the idea of drama. Yeah. Now I wish every day I would have done drama. Yeah, yeah. I, but I was I was just going through puberty and terrified of being a fool in front of other people. It's funny, isn't it? And so, I think. Mm. To be fair, those arts, artistic skills are probably more useful to yeah. people now yeah. than history is. Definitely. Yeah. But, it, but it's also understanding that Life skills, you're, you're, you have to understand that the people making the choices are malformed. Mm -hmm. Not in a bad way, but we are literally in a, a, a tra transition state. Unfinished. As a being, unfinished. Yeah. And so we need to have some leeway there and some support there on some of those things. Um, but again, we I've ranted before about schools and mm, yeah, that yeah. model um, for my daughters. I don't. I mean, I, I can only speak from my own experience, but at risk of being controversial, I don't know as it makes that much difference, inevitably, to what you're going to turn out to be yeah, yeah. and what you want to be. Yeah. Will it stop you? I doubt it. But even if you look like our performance reviews back in BT all those years, a decade ago now, yeah, I'm pretty sure every performance review I said. This is where do you want to be in two years? I gave a, what I said was not true. Well, it was true, I thought, but yeah. two years after. Didn't, didn't you know, materialise. Yeah. I think two years before Agile, my thing on the thing was I want to be a great Java programmer. And I like, did, did that, got the already there. You wanted to be like me, I know. I was already got there and then moved completely out of that space completely forever. Mm. And so it's kind of, it's very interesting. I know, Jeff, you like to like narrowing down and focus, mm. but you trained to be an accountant, yeah. didn't you? Was that was a strong focus for you for a long time or not? No, but that, that's, that's an example of the options thing because I didn't really have any choices at GCSE. Yeah. I, I, there were basically 11 subjects. And the yeah. only choice I had was whether I did ceramics or technology. I think it was pretty much the yeah. which two foreign languages I wanted to take. That, that was pretty much it. 
And then, then it was I had to choose three A levels, and I chose the ones that basically I got best grades at. Yeah. That didn't require me reading books. <laughs> so, because I didn't really yeah. like reading that. I love yeah. it, love it yeah. now. I didn't like reading at school, so I didn't want to read. I didn't want to take English. Yeah. And I didn't want to take a language, even though yeah. I did quite well at them, yeah. because it involved reading yeah. foreign novels, which yeah. was just insane <laughs> yeah. for me. So I, yeah. I chose it. And so then I had those three A levels, and then it was right. What do I do? What degrees do I do with this combination of A levels? Yeah. I had no d direction, yeah. so I ended up doing a degree in yeah. accounting. I hated it. I quit the job after three months, mm. but I got qualifications. Yeah. I think I, I chose my A-levels originally to keep my options slightly open and then I then realised over the summer that I didn't want to do English because I didn't want to write essays. Again, purely boy thinking, this isn't of just like, how can I avoid things I don't like? And then ended up, but then I chose software because of computer games. Again, another slight aside, but so this company I, I do a fair bit of co coaching work with, they set up an academy, an apprenticeship scheme. And they target, they, they're trying to uh, recruit eight, seven or eight different um, graduates each year to skill, give them a, two, a, a 12 month program to skill them as a, mm. as a software professional. Yeah. Interesting enough, they don't, they're trying to recruit into their, account, their, current, mm. their next year's academy. They don't recruit into IT fairs, careers fairs, computer mm. science fairs mm. at the universities. Yeah. They go, all their recruits come from business studies, Geography, uh, chemistry, they're, they're, they're non-IT um, fields. Mm. Yeah. So it just shows you that even though you might be leaving that university yeah. space with a degree yeah. that you've chosen, yeah. people change and, yeah. and people's interests differ from yeah. what they, when they start, even within three yeah. years, they come out of university thinking, actually really like doing yeah. computer programming. Well, there's interesting because chemistry and geography often involve computer programming. Yeah. We had a lot of geography guys on but our course. you don't realise that they got, you're doing yeah, it. And they got really liked it. Yeah. And they came out really getting And they can software. be very good, you yeah. know, scrum team members yeah. or whatever that might be. So it's cross, it comes back to cross-functionality. Yeah. Having diversity. T-shaped skills. T-shaped to explore different things and then bringing it back. But what's, what would be great is if you, did, what, if you had that scrum team that had all those different back that's yeah. what you want you want different yeah. backgrounds yeah. you want diversity don't you yeah. yeah so I don't think it's a bad thing to, to worry you know I don't think we should worry too much about it now because it, you can change yeah yeah unless you want to sure be a doctor or that I'm not sure you do change you're not sure you do change what well something you said earlier on really struck me and I've, I've been wrestling with it while you've been talking are you not listening well, I've been trying to listen, but I've also been trying to think. <laughs> reloading. No, I'm trying to remember what it was, but oh. it was something. It was basically, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm bastardising your words a little bit. Basically, what, what I heard you say was, it really doesn't matter what you choose. Yeah. And so I was wrestling with that in my mind, thinking, well, in a way, it did matter what I chose because I ended up with a degree that I didn't like, and I ended up in a job that I didn't like, but not for very long. Then I flipped it and thought, actually, <clears throat> when I was doing my A-levels, my maths, my politics, my economics, I took from those A-levels something very different from the other people that took exactly those same three A-levels because of what my interest areas were, because of what my natural strengths and what my natural affinities were, which probably helped set me up for my career in servant leadership and coaching, whereas others mm. are now, who took the same A-levels as me, at the same school, the same classes, ended up in a completely different profession because yeah. they took the, the hard aspects, whereas I took the soft aspects. Mm -hmm. So, do we change or do we just suck out the bits that are exactly. relevant to us and augment what we want? I think it's a bit of both. I think your personality does set what the, does give a tint to what you learn, but also you are tinted. You're, you're changed by what you learn. I don't just mean in classrooms, but in terms of just life, I'm a different human being to what I was at. 18 or 19, whether that's good or bad, I don't know, but I definitely am. Um, but it's, it's interesting, like Five said the other day online, um, I've been reading, for, and don't judge me, but I've been reading political autobiographies recently. Oh, the exciting books I read. Um, but I just find them really enthralling. Current or like uh, Churchill? Well, no, I've read Churchill, um, uh, but mainly the history of World War II. Mm. Um, I've read an authorised Churchill biography and Roy Jenkins, mm. Tony Blair, and I've just done Kenneth Clark's autobiography rather than biography. And it's not so much the mechanics or even their principles, i.e., their belief system, mm. but it, or even it's just something about politics and the nobility and the venality of it. And I found that quite uh, 
cost applicable to what we do in terms of organisational change and realising that there's so much that politics is about humans and everything is political everything mm. to a certain extent not in, you know it's just understanding that and getting that and not politics in a negative way but politics in a changing things way and how do you change and how do people resist change and mm. I just found that very interesting in these books again maybe because the the angle I have from my background <coughs> change agent person but also I'm getting angled by that and bringing that back like one thing I got from Tony Blair's book he said something along the lines of and I apologize for the misquote something about how when a leader gets elected they have a certain amount of goodwill mm-hmm. built up with the parliaments and the electorate, etc., and the papers. And they can spend that goodwill. Often leaders waste it frivolously at the start, when they should be saving a bit of it, when they need it for real hard stuff halfway through the term. And I felt this, now for me, obviously tinted with my background, my angle, I thought of this like a Street Fighter 2 energy bar <laughs> sat above your head, you know. But, but this is so important, like, I think as a product owner, they've got so many no's they can say to the business, even if they're empowered, even if they're boss. There's only so many times they can say no before someone goes, eh, eh. Mm. You said before, Paul, about saying, I don't know, on the course. Yeah. You've only got so many I don't know's yeah, before people think you're ignorant. Mm. But you've got a few of them in there. And it's to understand that sort of karma bank you have. And I've been thinking about that a lot, both as a change agent, as a trainer, and with change agents in companies, trying to explain to them, look, you're going to have to push, you've got, you got a bank of it. You have to reserve it, you have to use it appropriately and then build it back up again. Build up the goodwill with people, then you can spend it again. And under, sort of understand it like that. Now maybe that's me applying a, a very nerdy methodology to something very squishy and human. But, so I, but that's why I took, I took that lesson, I gave it my own spin, and that's something I'm now doing. So do you think Scrum Masters, Agile Coaches, perhaps even Product Owners need some kind of political training? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <clears throat> what does political training look like? Well, I don't know. I guess influence. I guess psychology. I guess um, social. Yeah. Um, well, critical conversations. Social you know, hey, understanding. Um, so I get a lot of value from. Um, I have God. I'm going to brutalise his name. Oh, I'm so sorry. Gloria, is it? Jura. from the Scrumlands. Morian, last last name. Morian. Sorry, um, but he did something years ago with one of his colleagues. So I can't even remember. I'm one so day, sorry. One day we should uh, just turn up with a list of names and ask Niles to read no, them. I need them like George, no, I need them. I need them like George W. Bush, spelled out phonetically. Uh, but anyway, he and someone else did this battlefield mapping thing. Do you remember that? Battle, Battle mapping, where you'd map out people and their relationships mm-hmm. with each other, and it's incredibly it's cynical. Books. It's incredibly cynical, but it's really, really good. I'm a huge fan of it, and I actually think training that out, teaching it to people, and saying, "Look, you know what? Which, which book is it in, Jeff?" Scrum Mastery. Fantastic. Um, I'd also put in product mastery, so I do an advanced product owner training. Yeah. I think product owners have to live this very political life as a stakeholder. Uh, with stakeholders, yeah, they have definitely. to understand that and manage that. But so having some tools around that to help them actually understand <coughs> that a bit progressively. Yeah. Um, but also the things, it's really weird stuff I've learned from, um, and it sounds so obvious, but coming from IT, maybe it wasn't. Politicians will say one thing to one person and say something to another. Mm. And it sounds so obvious, but people actually do that. And it's actually quite powerful unless you, until you find out they're doing it. Mm. And so I've been... Um, I've had that experience recently with a large non-profit that we won't name, um, where people will say one thing to your face and you know for a fact they say something else to someone else's face. And that's uh, the negative side of politics, Mm. you know. Um, uh, So for me, that concept of, yes, I believe that stuff should be really important. I think it's more than just coaching stuff, but actually the, not Machiavelli, but you know, there's an aspect of a negativity towards uh, people and persuasion, and people just need to be aware of that a little bit. Mm. And I think scrum masters and product owners need loads of EQ, loads of emotional intelligence. And I think that's overlooked. So here's a different question. Looking back now, if you, knowing what you know now, knowing what yeah. you're doing now, knowing yeah. what you enjoy now, yeah. if you were doing your GCSE options again, would you choose differently? So I didn't really have a choice. I would or I tell you now, I have one, two choices. I said science or CDT. I wasn't very good at CDT. I could nearly cut my finger off. I would do drama. Mm. I would do drama at university. Would you? Yeah. As a degree? Yeah. Would you? Yeah. And do you think you'd still be doing what you're doing now yeah. as a result of that? Probably not. It doesn't mean I don't love what I do now. I adore what I do now. I get loads of value at what I do now. Very but I think I would have very passionate. Thank you. Um, but I would have taken some aspects and gone another way. I think. Yeah. 
knowing now what I know now. But remember, I grew up as a lower middle class, i.e. working class boy. Mm. We're very limited. You know, you said about the world being automated right at the start of this conversation. Mm-hmm. What happened in where I grew up was a there's an entire Hartcliffe, an entire council estate built mm. for the Wills Tobacco Factory, the largest tobacco factory in Europe. Mm. 10,000, 15,000 people employed there. Mm. And all of a sudden they shut the factory and 10,000 people were unemployed. Mm. So the, the levels of deprivation and heroin use were high. Um, crime was massively high. There was no prospects. There was no future for people. So there was no... I was given no aspiration at school. You were one of the only one of your school friends that went on to university, weren't you? A few of us did, but it wasn't a high percentage. There wasn't a high percentage, no. Um, and only a high percentage went to good universities. But there was a few. I was not going to discount that. But there was a very much there was not an attitude of success no. or an attitude of these things are possible for you. Yeah. When if you look at people like um, well any famous comedian etc. They often come from like eaten or privileged backgrounds. Lots of other people have. But Boris Johnson, David Cameron, all know each other. Yeah, I was reading cool. Kenneth Clark's autobiography. He was friends as a young man with like John Gummer and Norman Fowler, who are the ministers afterwards. Yeah. So a group of people all understood aspiration, understood where he could go. And I didn't have that mm. as, a, as a young man, as a, as a boy. And I would like, um, if I went back, I would have had that and gone, maybe a slightly different direction. Mm. Maybe, maybe not. But I would say that's what we need to give our children, that, that ability to aspire. They're not all going to be super duper performers, you know. They're not all going to be Hollywood stars. We shouldn't pretend they're going to be, but we shouldn't also. What about our teams? In terms of. Do they need aspiration? Yeah. Yeah. I think too many teams think they are factory workers in a tobacco factory in South Bristol, and they don't think that they are um, Hollywood scriptwriters mm. sat in Hollywood creating a new Hollywood blockbuster, and they are creators. Hmm. They're they urban animation. They're not, you know, uh, spa. Yeah, and I, and think I think I think sometimes that's perception. I think people look too much into their titles or their what they think the organisation perceives of them. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I, I had a very recent situation where team just basically had a very low low opinion of them themselves, low opinion yeah. of themselves, yeah. and they thought the company had a low opinion of them. But in fact, when yeah. you ask other people, they didn't. Yeah. But I think it's people see, yeah. want, people almost want to see a yeah. pecking order. Yeah. They want to see, know where they are. With your stuff and your um, uh, improv stuff, I don't know much, too much about it, but the, the low status, high status yeah. thing, the people adopt low status. They think they are, even though they're getting paid good money in a profession that's like being a doctor. It's or critical. Being a it's a critical part of the yeah. business. They're, but they're actually playing the role as if they are emptying the bins. Yeah. And so. A, a scrum master, why I was talking about scrum master being about setting the tone, being the exemplar. Not an exemplar of scrum, it's an exemplar of a good professional. And before we started this podcast, we had a five second chat about the word professional. Mm. We talked about how, when we mean professional, we mean someone who is like a craftsman professional, someone who has good standards, respect, and dignity, not in terms of like, oh, making it professional, i.e., making it commercial, mm. making it dirty and money based and everything. We were talking about some organisations need to be more professional on the left-hand side, mm. not professional on that, just base commercials. Mm. I think we need that with scrum teams. And again, I don't know how you get paid to do that. I don't know how you put that in your performance review. I don't know how you fit that into a modern organisation. But that's what actual scrum masters and coaches need to do. Build that sense of self, that sense of uh, esteem. So there's your challenge. Yes, l- listener. L- laid down by Nigel. Mm, it's good. That's a good one. It's a deep one today. It's deep. Mm. Yeah. Not so much agile, more philosophy. Mm. There but you it go. Is agile. More human. Is it agile? Yeah, no, we, we should probably not oh. go. Let's, let's just work. Yeah, yeah. That's, an, that's my conversation this morning before this podcast, yeah. and let's not go there on this <laughs> podcast. All right. Well, thanks to our hundreds and thousands of listeners. Yes. regularly interacting with us online. <laughs> we really would like to hear from you, even if it's naff points, like try not to drink so much cider or come visit us in our town in Aberystwyth or something. But mind you, I'm now taking over this podcast. This, this is theirs. <laughs> just, I'm just talking over them. They don't even give me a listen after. <laughs> but um, please e- e- email Paul Moore. He'll, he'll love it. He'll love it. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, guys. All the best.